I'd ask you to take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, I want to ask you today, as you take your Bible and turn there, what do you do when your problems are too big? When you're just completely out of resources, you don't have enough resources to do what you need to do. And maybe those resources are paying your bills, or maybe those resources are accomplishing a ministry that God's call, called you to do, or to, to be somewhere that you need to be and you can't be. What do you do when you look at your life situation and you're just sort of helpless, and there's nothing that you can do? to fix your own problems. You know, us guys are pretty good at trying to fix our own problems. Um, but sometimes the problems are just way too big. And sometimes there's a loved one who's sick, there's someone who's hurting, and we don't know what to do. What do you do in these situations? Well, what we have in Mark chapter 6 is the feeding of the 5,000. And you probably are familiar with the story. Um, if you grew up in church, you probably heard the story about how Jesus sat the 5,000 down and there was a little boy who had uh, some, some bread and some uh, fish and he gave it to the Lord Jesus and the Lord fed all the people that were there that day. And that's the story that we're going to look at today. You know, this is the only ministry miracle that appears in all four Gospels, which tells you something. This story is absolutely critical to understanding who Jesus is and what his ministry was about. None of the other ministries that Jesus did, none of the other miracles that he did, like the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead, you'd think, well, that's got to trump the feeding of the 5,000. But that miracle didn't appear in all four Gospels. Only this miracle appears in all four Gospels. And there's a reason that it's so important. In fact, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, is the shortest of all the Gospels by far. Matthew's a long, long book. Luke is even longer. Luke's the longest book, word for word, in the entire New Testament. And uh, John is a longer gospel. Mark is the shortest gospel. But in Mark's telling of this story, this story is longer than anyone else's telling of the story. And so to Mark, this was absolutely essential. If you want to, under if you want to truly understand who Jesus is and really understand some things about yourself, you need to pay attention to the feeding of the 5,000. Now, I want to give you the big picture again. The big picture is simply this. Jesus came and began his ministry, and that's how Mark's gospel really starts off, that, that Jesus appeared on the scene and began his ministry. And what was his ministry? We find it in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, a very critical verse. And in that verse, what we read is this. Jesus went about telling people, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, when Jesus said the time is fulfilled, what he was saying was essentially this. All of the Hebrew Bible is fulfilled in me today. All of the scriptures, all of what you and I would call the Old Testament, finds its fulfillment beginning today in me. And so this was a, a, a monumental, this was a watershed kind of event. Because the people that were there were just living their lives day by day, nothing happening, shopping at Walmart, doing all the things that they did. And then a man appears on the scene and he says, God has fulfilled his promises right now. What promises? The promise, for example, for King David. You remember that promise? For what did God promise? 
that there will be an everlasting kingdom in your name, a kingdom that never fades away. It came to be known as the kingdom of God because only God could do something like that. Jesus is saying that kingdom is at hand right now. And so what do you do? What are we supposed to do, Jesus? Jesus tells them what to do. Repent and believe in the gospel. When the Old Testament is ready to be fulfilled, when God's kingdom in heaven breaks through into this earth, and begins God's reign on this earth, what should be our response? Our response should be, I better get right with God. I better repent and believe in the good news of what God is doing. That was the essence of Jesus' ministry, according to Mark. But what happened? People typically got more interested in the miracles than in the message. Oh, Jesus is the one who can heal my backache? I need to find this guy. He's the one who can give sight to my blind son? That's what I want. He's the one who can make me walk again? That's the man that I want. And so people were far more interested in the miracles that Jesus could do for them then in the message that God's kingdom has broken into this world and it will change everything if we allow God to reign, if we allow God to rule. And so typically, not everybody, some people believed in the message, but a lot of people simply wanted the healing. They wanted the miracles. Jesus eventually makes it to his hometown of Nazareth and he proclaims the same message going into the synagogue saying, the, this scripture in Isaiah has been fulfilled in your sight today. And what do his hometown people say? My, my, aren't we full of ourselves, Jesus? Who do you think you are? You're just a carpenter and the son of a carpenter. And Jesus, that's all you'll ever be. And they rejected his message. They rejected who Jesus was. So what did Jesus do? He took his disciples and he began to expand his ministry to the surrounding villages. He paired them up two by two and sent them into the villages and he gave them authority to preach that message that the kingdom of God was at hand, repent and believe, repent and believe in the gospel, and to heal the sick and to cast out demons. And that's what they did. And they went out into the villages. And that's when Mark gives us a little interlude, a paragraph. And he describes that what was going on and how this was causing somewhat of a commotion. And word even got to Herod Antipas, the governor of Judea. And Herod Antipas really believed himself to be the king over Israel. But he was an indulgent man, an immoral man, like many government officials today. Herod created a big meal, a feast, that not only resulted in the murder of John the Baptist, but it was a foreshadowing of the murder of Jesus, which was to come. And so it shouldn't take us by surprise, by the way, when you and I are persecuted for doing the right thing. John the Baptist did the right thing, he preached the right message, and he was beheaded for it 
Jesus did the right thing, obviously. He was put to death for it. He was crucified for it. You and I, when we do the right thing, there are going to be people, people that don't like it. There will be people that will actually be offended by the righteousness of God. And they will persecute us, call us names, diminish us. Don't be surprised by it. It's nothing new. It has always happened and it always will as long as sin is in this world. And so Mark recalls this meal from Herod. But now there's another king that Mark wants to get back to. And it's a shepherd king. It's the king Jesus. And Jesus is going to provide his own meal. Not a lavish banquet for all of the high and mighty in society. But for the common people, a meal simply to provide food for them. Jesus, in, in feeding the 5,000, would show that he is a type of Moses. What did Moses do? Remember the manna and how God's people were fed in the wilderness? That's the type of person that Jesus is. And he's a new Moses, a greater Moses than the one that they all looked up to. And so today as we walk through the feeding of the 5,000, I want you to try to imagine if you were one of the disciples what it would be like. I want you to try to experience what it might have been like if you were one of the 12 that were following Jesus. You're on mission for Jesus. He paired you up with a buddy, sent you into a village. You preached the gospel. You healed the sick. You cast out demons. Maybe you went to a village where you were rejected. And you come back to Jesus. It's been a long day or a long couple of days. And you come back to Jesus, you're exhausted, you're spent, you're worn out, as they say here, you're whooped, you're just done. And it's time to get some rest. But what happened? There was no rest, not immediately. Look in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They had no leisure even to eat. Listen, we all need times of rest. Have you ever been just so busy that you didn't even have time to eat? That's how busy they were. So busy that you just couldn't even think straight. People just invading your space all day long. That's what was going on with the disciples. They didn't even have time to eat. They didn't even have a, a moment's leisure time. Let me tell you something. Jesus wanted his disciples to rest. God does not expect you and expect your life to be all work and no rest. There is a spiritual quality that needs to be a part of your life with regard to rest. There is a, a principle here about getting away from it all and having some recuperation. There's sometimes, sometimes I hear people say, oh, I'm just too busy, I don't have time to rest, I don't have time for a break, I don't have time for a vacation. Let me tell you something. If you think you're that busy that you don't have time for a break, you're doing yourself more harm than good. You think you're being productive by working constantly? That's not true. If you will take a break, if you will schedule in your calendar some rest, 
you'll actually find yourself to be more productive. You'll come back refreshed, uh, just renewed, and uh, re-energized. Jesus knew this, and he knew his disciples were just about spent. So let me ask you, for you, what is that desolate place? Jesus says, come away to a desolate place. For you, what is that? What's that getting away place? I mean, is it, is it fishing out at the lake? Is it, is it visiting relatives? Um, is it being holed up in a cabin with a book? Um, is it just being at home with a good case of the lazies? Uh, what is it where you just sort of get away and you rest? Well, there's a warning here when you try to rest. And the warning is this. Sometimes the thing that you try to get away from will follow you. Look at verse 32. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many who saw them going, many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Can you imagine what it was like to be one of the disciples? Jesus says, let's go take a break. Let's get away from the crowd. Let's get to a desolate place. And so, clandestine, they sneak to the boat. And hopefully no one notices them. They climb in the boat and they get away. But then someone on the shore sees them. Hey, I think that's Jesus. That's the way they talk. Hey, I think that's Jesus. Where are they going? Let's go where they're going. And so this crowd starts to follow them along the shore. Wherever the boat goes, the crowd is following along the shore. The crowd's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. More and more of a commotion. Jesus is going to another place. Let's follow him. Let's see if he'll minister to us. Eventually, I'm sure somebody on the boat said, um, Jesus, there's a crowd following us. And all the disciples probably rolled their eyes like, man, we'll never get a break. Never get a break. It's just constant. This ministry is wearing me out. Well, finally, they make it to the place where they were going to dock, and the people actually beat them there. You have to understand, the Sea of Galilee is nine miles wide and 13 miles long. And if they left from a place, a village called Capernaum, by the way, Capernaum, archaeologists tell us, in that day was probably about 2,000 people. If they left from that village in Capernaum, they may have gone up sort of the, uh, on the western side of the lake to another place, but by the time they got there, the crowd had already run ahead of them, running for miles, miles and miles. In fact, the, the crowd was so frenzied up with wanting to be with Jesus that nobody except a little boy packed a lunch. They all just, hey, let's go. And they all just ran. No one had the foresight to make a few sandwiches. But they all just ran. Let's go be with Jesus. By the time they got there, and by the time Jesus had finished preaching, there were some probably fifteen to 20,000 people, because the Bible tells us that the 5,000 here were 5,000 men. And I think it's Matthew's gospel that makes it clear this doesn't include the women and the children. There had to be some fifteen to 20,000 people here. And when you consider that one of the more important villages, Capernaum, had 2,000 people in it, this was a major 
major deal. And so Jesus and the disciples get to that side of the lake and they dock the boat. And what happens? Well, if it's you and me, we're probably making a big announcement. Please get away. I'm tired. I don't have time for you right now. I've got to take a break. I'm at the end of my rope. But this is what Jesus did. Verse 33. They saw them going and many recognized them. They ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Verse 34. Then he, Jesus, went ashore. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Listen, there's times that you need a break. You need to set yourself apart and get some rest. That's a spiritual activity. But when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. We have to have compassion for our community. We have to have compassion for our friends without God, for our loved ones without God. Why? Jesus saw them through, of course, godly eyes, and he saw them as they truly are, like sheep without a shepherd. What's a sheep without a shepherd? What's going to happen to that sheep? It's going to get lost. It's going to get injured. And it's going to die. That's how Jesus saw these people. That's how you and I need to see our loved ones without Christ. They're lost. They're going to get hurt. And they're going to die. We have to have compassion. It's so easy to look at the people in our community that you read the Leveland Police Report. And I, I read that every week for a couple of reasons. I want to see what's in my neighborhood. But also, I just sort of want to see what, what the troubles are in our community. And you read that police report and you see all the anger, people beating each other, stealing from stores, causing vandalism. You see, you see these people and, and it's real easy to say, ah, what a bunch of fools. What a bunch of ne'er-do-wells. They get what they deserve. Jesus would look at the same people and say, these are hurting people. These are lost. They're injured. And they're going to die. They're sheep without a shepherd. And his heart, his spiritual heart, broke for them. He had compassion for them. And he was going to do something about it. It reminds us of Numbers chapter 27. In Numbers 27, here's the story. Moses gets a message from God. And here's the message. I mean, after everything Moses did, led the children out of Egypt, they're there in the wilderness, getting ready to enter the promised land. And Moses wasn't perfect. He sinned against God. 
And because of his sin, this is what God told him. Moses, you will not enter the promised land. You're going to die with an inside of it. If that was you and me, serving God in ministry for 40 years, I mean, would we be a little bit put off at that? I mean, can't, can't a guy get a break? Yeah, I know I get angry and I know I sin, but God, why can't I go, get into the promised land? That might be our attitude, but here's, here's what Moses said. The moment God told him you would not enter the promised land, this was Moses' prayer. He said, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. What an incredible man Moses was to get that devastating news. And his first thought was not for himself, His first thought was for the people of God. He prayed, so be it. But Lord, appoint someone over these people so that they will not be lost and injured and die. Give them a new leader. We need to have compassion for people. The same kind of compassion Jesus had. And so we continue the story in verse 35. And here's where the disciples really learned to trust in God's provision. Jesus began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. This is the third time Mark calls this a desolate place. None of the other gospel writers in telling this story call it a desolate place. But they're saying, we're we're in the middle of nowhere. There's not a store around here. There's not a restaurant to go to. The hour's getting late. The people are getting hungry. We're in over our heads. So Jesus, here's what you need to do. I love it when people give Jesus advice. Verse 36, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. The disciples were saying, Jesus, we punt. We give up. Ball is not in our court anymore. This is too big of a problem. We don't know what to do with all these people. We certainly can't feed them. And the disciples, they don't expect Jesus to do a miracle. Otherwise, they would have asked for one. What did Jesus do? Verse 37, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. I love that. When the followers of Jesus said, Jesus, we give up. Jesus replied, not so fast. I don't allow you to give up. In fact, the responsibility is yours. Let me say that again. The responsibility for the world lies with the church. The responsibility for our community 
lies with us. The responsibility for the lost people in your life, at work, school, home, wherever it might be, lies with you. You do something about it, Jesus says. There's problems in your community, church, you do something about it. There's problems in your home, you do something about it. Jesus does not let us shirk our responsibility. He puts the responsibility for the community on his followers. Well, the disciples object, and their objection is a financial one. This is going to cost too much. They said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? You know what 200 denarii is? 200 days worth of work? I mean, are we going to spend two-thirds of a year's worth of salary just to feed this big crowd once? Is that what you want us to do, Jesus? This is too expensive. Ministry, Jesus, is too expensive. By the way, ministry is expensive. But it's our responsibility. Doing God's work can be expensive. The disciples, they just wanted to get away from everybody. But Jesus wanted them to engage people in ministry. And so they are at being asked by the chief shepherd to become shepherds themselves. And let me tell you, you may not be a pastor, you may not be an elder, you may not have that title. But titles aside, forget titles for a second. Every one of us has responsibility to shepherd the people in our lives. You have a responsibility to act like Jesus and to be that leader of other people's lives, that shepherd of other sheep, so that they are not lost and injured and dead. And so Jesus said to them in verse 38, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Well, the answer is, well, not enough, right? No matter how many we have, it's not going to be enough. And this goes back to the original question. When your problems are too big for you, when your bills are stacked too high, when your loved ones are too sick for you to do anything about, when the people in your lives are hurting too bad for you to really know how to minister to them, what do you do? When your problems are just way too big at work and way too big at school, where do you turn? What do you do? The answer is simply to turn to God because God has all the resources. All the resources under heaven and earth, God owns them. God can do anything that he desires to do. He has every resource at his disposal, so turn to him. When they found out, they said, we have five loaves and two fish. Verse 39, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. They sat down on the green grass. What does this mean? It means it's springtime. They're there in the green grass. There's nothing, no other villages really close by. But it's springtime. What does that have to do with anything? It means that the previous year's harvest is dwindling down. It hasn't been harvest time yet. The new grain, the new crops have not been harvested yet. And there's probably, there very well may not be enough food to feed that kind of crowd. Even if Jesus were to send them away, Jesus has to do something. And he fully intends to. So he sits them down in groups of fifties, groups of hundreds. Verse 41, 
And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Where did the two fish come from? We know from the other gospels it came from a little boy. But this little boy was willing to give whatever he had to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. The work of God's ministry is always done by the provisions that are given over by God's people. In other words, God has given us everything. Everything that we own, everything that we have, all of the money in our bank accounts, all the property that we have, everything that we have, God has given it to us. And he gives us the freedom, the willingness, hopefully, to use a portion of that to do the work of God. And if we're going to do God's work, it comes from us. It comes originally from God, but God has already provided us with the resources. And so we must be willing to turn over those provisions to the work that Jesus wants to do. And so Jesus looked up into heaven. This was unusual because usually when a uh, Jewish man would pray, he would bow his, his eyes and his face down much like we do usually. He would bow, bow down. But Jesus, here, he looked up into heaven, indicating, I believe, a, a spiritual unity, a closeness to the Father. And he prayed a prayer. What did he pray? We don't know. A typical Jewish blessing is, is simply this. Praise unto thee, O Lord our God, King of the world, who makes bread to come forth from the earth. That's a typical prayer that a Jewish man would say before having a meal. And so Jesus gave the loaves and the fish to the disciples, and they served the people. Guess what? Not only do the provisions for ministry come from us, but then we're the ones who have to turn around and do the work. We have to do the serving. In other words, if God's work is going to be done, it's going to be done because we are the hands and the feet of Christ. And we're the ones who not only write the check, but we do the work. It's not enough simply to write a check and think, oh, I've, done, I've done my part. No. We have to write the check, and we have to do the work, do the service ourselves. Otherwise, the work of God will not get done. Jesus includes us in his work. And then in verses 42 through 44, And they all ate, and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. You know something that's really interesting about this story? The crowd may not have ever known that a miracle occurred that day. The only people that we know were aware of the miracle were the disciples, the followers of Jesus. For the crowd, for the community, they're just receiving a blessing from God. They had no idea what went forth to produce that blessing. Same thing is true today. You know, as a church and as individuals, we need to be reminded that we don't do 
ministry to our community for the sake of receiving a good name, for the sake of making sure everyone knows that it was us that did it. We don't do it in order to receive accolades, to receive a pat on the back. There are many things we may do in, in our, as a church and you may do individually that people will never know. No one knows but God. But what did Jesus say? He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. But who knows? Your Father knows. And your Father who is in heaven will reward you. I don't know where you're at today as the people of God. I don't know if you're at a place now where you think, I'm worn out, I'm whooped, and I need a break, I need to rest. That's a spiritual decision that you may need to make. Or maybe today you've been looking at the people in your life, the people in our community without compassion, and today you need to have that little attitude adjustment where you see them not as bothers, not as people that are attacking you, but as people who are lost and hurting, sheep without a shepherd. Or maybe today, you're at the point where you think in your life, I don't have provisions for my needs. I don't have the resources that I need to pay my bills. I don't have the resources that I need to help my loved one. I don't have the resources that I need to do what I believe God wants me to do. And maybe today for you, it's simply a matter of trusting in God and turning to Him because God has all the resources in the world.